So thank you for your good hand upon us, Father. You are good to us beyond measure. Your grace is more than sufficient. Thank you for your faithfulness, even through the trials and the difficulties. Thank you once again, most of all, for the Lord Jesus Christ and the transformative power of turning dirty, rotten sinners into beautiful pictures of the grace of our Lord Jesus, overflowing with gratitude and thankfulness. May that be our testimony today, Lord. Encourage us through your word now. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. My administrative assistant just handed me a note correcting me and saying that Michelle, who's our part-time secretary, does all the slides. Larry does the announcements. And I'm thankful for Michelle and all of her work on the slides. I thought Larry did it. goes to show how much the boss knows of what's going on. Of course, he's up in the woods deer hunting this past week. So, I wanted to extend my testimony of gratitude and thankfulness to the Lord and to the congregation by way of introduction this morning to our message as we focus on gratitude and thanksgiving. I've been the pastor of Fellowship Bible Church now for, I'm into my 13th year, well into our 13th year. I can't believe the time has gone by so quickly. There's been many changes, almost all good. There's been difficulties, but I want to just thank the Lord for His faithfulness to our family largely through the congregation here. Uh, I recognize what a privilege it is to be a pastor. Um, One time, a friend of mine who is in business and I were talking, and I can't remember what it was. Somebody had given us some Outback certificates or something that someone, through the love of Christ in the congregation, just to communicate their love to us, had given something to me. And... um, my friend looked at me and he said, you know, people never do that to me. And he is a very well-to-do, successful man, faithful in his church as well. And I try to always realize the sacred trust of what the pulpit is and what it means. I am just a human and I have many failures um, and weaknesses in my leadership roles. But as we work together, God has been good to us. But I want to just say thank you to you and to the Lord for your goodness to us. So many things. And um, it's almost embarrassing sometimes. And I take it as a gift from the Lord. And I just want to be careful to say thank you. And I also know that I have a personality and a temperament, and maybe some of you can identify with it, that the glass tends to be half empty. Are you that way? You know what that expression means, don't you? You can see what's wrong with things sometimes more than you can see what's right about things. I try to be positive, especially from the Sunday morning platform, but I can walk in in the morning and and this morning, Larry, get those boxes out of the hallway, and I got a couple kids vacuuming the chairs, and, you know, know, on we go. And uh, time I go home and... And then I growl at my kids or something or, you know, and be negative. This morning, I want us to refocus. I want us to encourage ourselves to realize that one of the great characteristics of believers in the Lord Christ is that we are to be grateful people. We're to be thankful people. Thank you for your testimonies this morning. And and I want us to look at the life of one of the most important figures in our New Testament apart from our Lord Jesus Christ, and that was the great Apostle Paul. 
he and his counterpart Silas find themselves in a very difficult situation in Acts chapter 16. Will you turn there with me? I want to use Paul as an illustration and a testimony. Paul and Silas, let me say that. As someone who is characterized by gratitude and thankfulness. And I just want to say thank you to everybody who's in part of the ministries here. As the pastor, I probably don't do a good enough job of thanking Sunday school teachers and nursery workers and heads of departments and even my own staff, Donna and Michelle, Larry the intern, Richard as property supervisor, always busy behind the scenes, always involved in someone's life, always doing something. And, um, and I just appreciate that so much. And I'm challenged this morning even to let the Word of God minister to myself that that as part of Christ being in us, we would be the kind of people that overflow with gratitude and thanksgiving. I hope you'll see that in the message this morning and be encouraged and strengthened. Let's begin with this great story in Acts chapter 16. Let's draw a few truths from it, setting the stage as we recognize that the Apostle Paul, in his teaching in the epistles... Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians. And have you ever noticed how much he talked about how thankful he was? Notice sometimes and take a pen and circle and just thumb through Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians, First and Second Thessalonians. And notice these letters that the Apostle Paul wrote to the church. He doesn't get very many sentences into his letters. And you know what he will say to the church? I thank my God upon every remembrance of you. I thank the Lord for how you ministered to us. I thank the Lord that he allowed us to come bestow our gifts upon you. He's always overflowing with gratitude. And so he also gives instruction, as we will see, in Ephesians, in Colossians specifically this morning, is where we're going to end up, where he gives us instructions to be thankful people. Now, most of us are very careful not to steal, not to lie, not to commit adultery, not to do murder, but we have very direct and equally strong statements to be thankful. It's a direct command to the believer in Christ. We're always worried about the big sins, but sometimes the sin of grumbling can be a horrendous sin. And we've looked at that in the past here, how the children of Israel were condemned for their grumbling. Remember how God gave them manna. This is always such a striking story to me. God gave them manna, and so then they start waking up in the morning all the time saying, the children of Israel in the wilderness, remember? And so they needed bread. So every morning there would be this manna on the bushes and on the ground, and they could pick it up, and they could bake it, and they could boil it, and they could do things with it and eat it. Only enough for that day. Then the next morning there would be more manna. And then what did they do? Typical people, you ever notice people don't change, people are the same no matter when they've lived. Manna! Couldn't we have some meat to eat? And so God says, I've heard their grumbling and I'll give them meat. And then he sends these quail into the camp about waist high and they knock them down with sticks and they eat quail. And God says, I've heard your grumbling and your complaining about my provision of manna. Now I'm going to give you meat, and I'm not just going to give you meat to eat today. You're going to eat it today. You're going to eat it tomorrow. You're going to eat it next week. You're going to eat it all month. And in Numbers 11, I think it is, he, God says, you're going to eat this stuff till it comes out your nose. 
he says to him. You know why God spoke like that? Because he can't stand grumbling. It's a very serious sin. And believers in the Lord Christ, of all people, we should be grateful people, not grumbling people. Let's read our story, Acts chapter 16. And uh, what I was getting at before I just sidetracked to the wilderness was that the Apostle Paul, in his instruction, commanding us to be thankful at all times, we have to ask ourselves the question, this guy who wrote this stuff, who taught us this, did he really live it out? Nothing like a teacher telling you what to do, but then not living it out, what they've instructed, right? With the responsibility of preaching comes the responsibility of living. Let's look at the Apostle Paul here and see how he lived it out and how he does have the credibility to instruct us that in all circumstances, give thanks, be thankful. Acts chapter 16, verse 16, Paul and Silas are on a missionary journey. We're cutting right into the middle of a context of a story here. Once when they were going, verse 16, chapter 16, once when they were going to the place of prayer, we, we were met by a slave girl who had a spirit by which she predicted the future. She earned a great deal of money for her owners by fortune-telling. This girl followed Paul and the rest of us shouting, These men are servants of the Most High God who are telling you the way to be saved. She kept this up for many days. Finally, Paul became so troubled that he turned around and he said to the spirit, In the name of Jesus Christ, I command you to come out of her. At that moment, the spirit left her. When the owners of the slave girl realized that their hope of making money was gone, they seized Paul and Silas and dragged them into the marketplace to face the authorities. They brought them before the magistrates and said, These men are Jews and are throwing our city into an uproar by advocating customs unlawful for us Romans to accept or practice. The crowd joined in the attack against Paul and Silas and the magistrates ordered them to be stripped and beaten. After they had been severely flogged, they were thrown into prison and the jailer commanded to guard them carefully, was commanded to guard them carefully. Upon receiving such orders, he put them in the inner cell and fastened their feet in the stocks. About midnight, notice verse 25, and you ought to underline this verse in your Bible. About midnight, Paul and Silas, look what it says, were praying and singing hymns to God. The King James Version uses the word singing praises to God. And the other prisoners, notice this, were listening to them. Suddenly there was such a violent earthquake that the foundations of the prison were shaken. At once all the prison doors flew open and everybody's chains came loose. The jailer woke up and when he saw the prison doors were open, he drew his sword and was about to kill himself because he thought the prisoners had escaped. But Paul shouted, don't harm yourself, we are all here. And the jailer called for lights, it's the middle of the night, you know, rushed in and fell trembling before Paul and Silas. Now watch what happens. He then brought them out and asked them, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? They replied, Believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved, you and your household. And then they spoke the word of the Lord to him and all the others in his house. At that hour of the night, the jailer took them and washed their wounds. And then immediately he and all his family were baptized. 
The jailer brought them into his house and set a meal before them. He was filled with joy because they had come to believe in God, he and his whole family. You can read the rest of the story. There's still more to it. God works in them. But let's just stop there for the sake of time right now. We can capture the essence of what's happening. I don't know about you, but there are very few things that make me angry-er than injustice. When something that is unfair or inequitable happens and it's a negative response, it really can fire me up. How about you? I'm doing nothing but good and this person attacks me. It's really hard to keep a good attitude and not want to fight in that situation. Do you know that feeling? I didn't do anything wrong and all of a sudden I'm being attacked. That's exactly the context of what's happening here. Paul and Silas are ministering here in Philippi. They're going down and ministering in the afternoons. And when they walk down the street, this girl who has a demonic spirit in her and is a slave girl held by these wicked men, and she's a fortune teller, basically, and they make money because of the spirit of evil that lives within her, these guys make money on this pitiful little girl, and every afternoon when she sees Paul and Silas, the demonic spirit inside of her recognizes who they are, and did you notice what they scream out, out loud? These men are servants of the Most High God who are telling you the way to be saved. I think that's amazing. You would think, this is a great concept. I mean, we're going to be thinking about the Christmas story here pretty soon. But you know how a lot of people struggle to believe in God? And how do I know which way to heaven's the right way? And how do I know? I just believe in Jesus. How do I know it's Jesus? I wish that God would just send somebody down here to tell us. Duh, that's what he did. I wish God would just come down here and, and send his son. Send part of the Godhead. And that's what he did. He even did more than that. He raised up his apostles to proclaim the truth and he even did more than that. He even had demons scream out loud in the middle of the afternoon when the streets were full of people. Hey everybody, see these guys? They're servants of the Most High God and if you listen to what they say, you'll be saved. I mean, how much more clear can it be? I mean, it's hard to believe, but that's reality and that's what was happening. Paul was troubled by this, it says. Did you see that? And finally one day he turns around because he recognizes. Paul, of course, is such a discerning apostle. And he has the ability to understand the spiritual world at a level beyond even us because of his apostolic giftedness. And he looks at her and he says to this pitiful, pitiful girl, he commands the demon in the name of God to get out of her. So then what happens? Paul just did a good thing, didn't he? Paul just rescued this pitiful slave girl from demonic possession as well as from being abused by these worthless men who are making money on her as her handler. That's a good thing. Now what happens is these guys are upset because their income has just now gotten the knees knocked out from under it. And they recognize exactly what happened. And so through lying and injustice, 
They grab these guys, they create a mob scene, and evidently uh, a lot of the Romans there in, in this part of the country, it wasn't, didn't take that much to excite the crowd and get a little hubbub going. They bring them before the magistrates, they have false accusation. I mean, this is like, this is like the officer pulling you over and saying, you were going 70 in a 45 zone, and Man, you got the wrong car. That was the guy up there. I was going 44 in a 45 zone. No, sir, it was you. I got you. Dragging you in. Because you're lipping off, I'm writing you. You know, I didn't lip off. I was just telling, you know. And one thing goes to another, and the next thing you know, you're in front of the judge, and the judge said, put this guy in jail. I don't want, he's, he can't go 70. And you're, next thing you know, you're sitting in jail, and you're how in the world did I get in jail? I didn't do anything wrong. I mean, not that that would happen, you know, but... It would be that kind of thing. And here's the Apostle Paul and Silas sitting in jail. Not only that, it says they were flogged in the NIV. The New King James says beaten with rods. The, the Romans had these rods that they would tie together, evidently multiple limber rods that they wrapped together and tied together. And they flailed these guys with these rods. Horrible beating. Horrible. I remember a few years ago when a guy over in Korea, an American over in, it was North Korea, I believe, um, where they, they caned him. And it really hit the media. And this abusive punishment, this is maybe 10 years ago, some young American guy was over there goofing around and messed, did stupid stuff or whatever. And they caned the fire out of this guy, I believe. I believe they actually followed through with it. I can't remember. And our media and our country was in a hoopla over it. Did you ever read in 2 Corinthians where the Apostle Paul said how many times this happened to him? I think it was three times with rods he was beaten. This is one of the times. These guys were injured. These guys were hurt. Later the next morning, while it was still daylight, after the jailer is saved, did you notice what it said? That the jailer washed their wounds. He literally broke their skin with the rods. You've got the picture, right? This is horrible. They're putting in the, the inner, inner part of the jail, the prison, they're in stocks, their backs are bleeding, they're beat up. No doubt their bodies are reacting to this in such a way that they're beginning to run a low-grade fever. They're very hurt. It's very filthy conditions in which they're living. And in the middle of all this, they don't get a phone call to a lawyer and they didn't do anything wrong. This is horrible. And I don't know about you, but I would be really upset. Really upset. And I'd want Tim Hellman to be down there right away representing Pastor Van and make sure my rights are represented and this is an abuse of justice and this is wrong. And Paul and Silas in the middle of the night, in the middle of the jail, beat up, running a fever, throw back their heads, these, these fabulous men. And they're singing hymns. What do you think they sang? This is the day, this is the day that the Lord has made, that the Lord has made. I will rejoice. Oh, Lord, you're beautiful. What do you think they sang? Out of the Psalms, no doubt. I will enter his gates with thanksgiving in my heart. I will enter his courts with praise. And it got really quiet throughout the prison. Did you catch that? Verse 25, and everybody's listening to them. I'd love to heard that, wouldn't you? 
beat up men, probably with swollen lips where they got backhands, croaking out their hymns of praise. Do you know that you cannot sing praise to God without a spirit of gratitude? Can't be done. It is an overflowing of thankfulness that becomes our hymn, our song, our chorus of praise to God. Here's Paul in the middle of horrible conditions. And I want to suggest, and I don't want to camp on this, but I want to suggest to you as we read the rest of the story that what happened and the effectiveness of the gospel was totally related to the effectiveness of their testimony that night. Did you see what happened? Everyone was listening. God then miraculously sends an earthquake. And by the way, I remind myself often in my anger of what James said, that the wrath of man does not bring the righteousness of God. In other words, my attitude of praise and thanksgiving, no, it's not a manipulative tool, but if I will respond with the proper heart attitude before the Lord in the middle of my difficulties, my injustices, my attacks, whatever the circumstances of your life, and notice that this was not circumstantially based praise. It was above the circumstances. It was in spite of the circumstances. But what happens when we maintain a godly, spiritual, surrendered attitude, God begins to work in miraculous ways around us. I'm going to tell you something. If the Apostle Paul and Silas had been in there, gassing around, mouthing off, carrying on, angry, I can't believe we're in this place. There's preachers of the gospel. We don't belong here. Hey! Get a lawyer. I get, I'm a lawyer myself. Let me get before the magistrate. Anger, anger, anger. I don't think there would have ever been an earthquake. I don't think the jailer would have ever been converted. And I don't think half the other prisoners, who it doesn't say were converted, that their lives would have been touched. It was because of the proper godly response to their circumstances that God was able to channel his blessing through them. I wonder how many of us miss being a conduit of God's blessing because we got attitude issues. And God would work through us in ways that we can't imagine if the spirit of praise and gratitude would just overflow in us. Because you know what? People are watching and listening. They hear your words. They watch your attitudes. They know. And they know you're a Christian. And if they don't, Shame on you. The jailer then is saved. Let me mention one thing there because it's a controversial passage. It says that the jailer and his family were saved. And this was no representative salvation. I believe that it's simply a way of stating that Luke the historian accounted for the fact that the jailer had his family present and as he shared the gospel, believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and you'll be saved. That was the, that's the message of the gospel, isn't it? If you believe in your heart that Jesus is Lord and that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever, what's the next word? Believeth in him should not perish. What is that? That is a casting of myself upon his grace. That is a trust. That is, that is jumping up on the scaffold of Jesus and knowing that that's the only scaffold that I can climb to heaven and I believe it will hold me. It's an act of faith. 
believing in the Lord Jesus Christ and being saved. His family heard, his wife, his children. I don't believe there were any infant baptisms there that day. You say, well, that's an argument from silence. Well, for you to say that was an infant baptism their day is also an argument from silence. I think that the teaching of Scripture is clear as a whole. And that it is by grace, through faith in Christ alone we are saved. And mom and dad being saved can't save their children, so don't be confused by that at all. And then it says he was baptized. I don't believe that that was part of the formula of his salvation in the, in the sense of if he wasn't baptized, he wouldn't get into heaven. We don't teach a baptismal regeneration here. But I believe that what we see here is what we see throughout the entire New Testament. And that is there is no such thing as an unbaptized believer. If you know Jesus Christ is your Savior, you're baptized. And we won't get into this, but I believe they were baptized by immersion. It says, after they were baptized, then they entered the house. Somewhere they found enough water that they were baptized, right there in the middle of the night. And they believed, they were baptized. Notice that order as well in the passage. He believed, and then he was baptized as a testimony of the spiritual identification of his immersion with Christ, covering with Christ, not only by the blood of Christ, but his identity with Christ in the death, the burial, and the resurrection of Christ. That's what that represents. And we've taught on that many other times. Well, there they are. And then it says at the end of the verse 34, the jailer brought them to his house, set a meal before them. He was filled with joy because he had come to believe in God. That's the transforming power of the gospel. Amen? A hardened old jailer. By the way, he was going to commit suicide because under Roman law, the pressure on him was that if he lost track of any of his prisoners, he would be for it. He was accountable with his own life to keep the prisoners. When the earthquake busted the prison doors and chains and so forth, he thought, sure, they would run. Because of the testimony of Paul, Paul quiets him down, calms him down, leads him to Christ, and in just a few hours is sitting at the breakfast table with this guy. Wouldn't you have loved to have been there? I want to tell you something. That was a powerful night of ministry. I mean, that was something to put in your newsletter and send to the supporting churches. You can't believe what happened to us. We were getting beat, starting to sing our praise. God sent an earthquake. We led the jail. We led the jailer. We led his family to Christ. He, wa- he washed us. He fed us in his own home. We got a new church going. Bam. And I would suggest, as I said before, if Paul and Silas had been all sour grapes, they'd have never been used that night. In conclusion, let's point out three things from Colossians chapter 3. Can we on this? Now we go directly to where the Apostle Paul teaches us to be thankful people, to be grateful people. This won't take long. I just want to wrap it up here with these rules for Christian living. So we see Paul and Silas's response to this difficulty. We see their impact in the middle of this difficulty. Now let's note what the Apostle Paul specifically taught to the church and to the churches, including us, about the importance of being marked as grateful people. Now listen, listen to me. Some of us, including your pastor, need to really listen now. We really need to be convicted about our words about our attitudes, about our grumbling. 
I want you to note that the Apostle Paul teaches in this passage very clearly that there are three marks, three ways that gratitude should mark us as believers in the Lord Christ. Number one is very simple, and it is this. We are to be marked as praise-filled people. It marks us as a saved people, a born-again people. The very essence of our salvation demands that we be grateful people, overflowing with thankfulness. Notice what it says. Let's pick it up in uh, chapter 3. Let's pick it up with verse 12. Notice how he writes and how he addresses the people. Colossians chapter 3, verse 12. Therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved. Okay? That is an address to believers. That is a point of God's elect The believers in the Lord Christ, chosen in Christ. In fact, we can reinforce that. Look at chapter 2 with verse 6 and 7. So then, chapter 2 of Colossians, verses 6 and 7. So then, just as you received Christ Jesus as Lord, you received Him as Lord, continue to live in Him, rooted and built up in Him, strengthened in the faith as you were taught, and look what it says, underline that, and overflowing with thankfulness. Now back to chapter 3, verse 12. Therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Bear with each other and forgive whatever grievances you may have against one another. Forgive as the Lord forgave you. And over all these virtues put on love, which binds them all together in perfect unity. Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, since as members of one body you were called to peace. The next phrase... And be thankful. Now in verse 15, verse 16, and verse 17, three times he's going to say it. Be thankful, be thankful, be thankful, in essence. The first point is what? You're born again people. You're saved. You're no longer in darkness. You're chosen in Christ. Now let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts and be thankful. Listen. Gratitude marks us as saved people. We won't take time to look at it, but it's equally interesting to notice the converse is true. In 2 Timothy 3 and in Romans chapter 1, it clearly states that godless people are characterized by ingratitude and that they are lovers of themselves, they are lovers of evil, and they are ungrateful. Born-again saved people should be characterized as thankful people. And it starts here with the realities of who we are in Christ. I'll tell you something. Once I get this end of it straight, I've really got no other worries. And you can grumble about, you know, flat tires and running out of gas and, you know, whatever. This morning I set my glasses down. And I broke my glasses out in the woods hunting this week. And so I went to the eye. They gave me a, a set of frames for like a 12-year-old and put my lenses in it to get me by through the week. I said, I got to preach something. I got to have my glasses. And so they gave me these frames. They bugged me. And I set them down this morning in a place I don't normally set them. I was all dressed and ready to come to church. And I'm up and down the stairs and around the kitchen and back up to my closet and over to the dresser, looking in the bathroom, back downstairs. And I started, ugh. Because I'll tell you something, and those of you who wear I hate glasses. And everybody just fuzzed over just now. I hate old age. And the lovely Janet said from her makeup table in the room, you should be thankful. 
you should be thankful that you didn't have to wear glasses until you were 42 years old. I am thankful. I just can't believe how quickly I got to be 42. And on it goes. And I said, I know I should. I forgot why I told that story. But ingratitude marks unbelievers, and gratitude marks believers, and we've got three minutes to do the other two points. I was, was going to make a point that fit saved people. Growling around, being unappreciative. Knock it off. That's basically my point. Knock it off, Bannard. Number two, it marks us not only as saved people, but it will mark us as spiritual people. Now, here's the rub. A lot of us have our ticket to heaven in our pocket, don't we? Here it is, right here. I can get into heaven. I accepted Jesus Christ as my Savior when I was nine years old at day camp. I'm going to heaven. But in my daily walk, I am not characterized by godly, holy, spiritual living. I am what some people would categorize as a carnal Christian. A Christian... Granted, you know Jesus Christ as Savior, you believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, and He has changed your life. But on a day-to-day basis, you live in the strength of the flesh. That's where we get the word carnal from. And you let the flesh rule. You get angry when you drop when you can't find your glasses, and you gas around and you do this and you do that. Because we're not characterized by what? By moment by moment, hour by hour, characteristically spiritual living. Listen, if we can't handle the little things, how are we going to handle the big things? When we're walking with Christ, let the spirit of godly thankfulness flow through you. Look look what he says. Verse 15 again of Colossians 3. Let the peace of Christ rule in your heart, since as members of one body you were called to peace. And be thankful. Now he says, be spiritual. What does he mean? Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. The word of Christ is to dwell in me. To dwell means to live in, to possess, to take habitation there. This is where it lives. Does the Word of God live in you? That's what I mean by spiritual living. Yes, you're saved and going to heaven, but now is the Word of Christ dwelling in you? Does it possess you? Are you the house of the Word of the Lord? If so, it will come out of you, because look what he says. As you teach and admonish one another... With all wisdom, and as you sing psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs, notice the phrase, verse 16 says it, underline it, with gratitude in your hearts to God. Verse 15 said, and be thankful. Verse 16 says, with gratitude in your hearts to God. Listen, the Apostle Paul is living up to what he teaches, isn't he? In Acts 16, isn't that exactly what he did? He ministered to that whole jail with psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with gratitude in his heart to God, even in the middle of of the most horrendously unjust situation. Why? Why could he do that? Because he was truly a spiritual person. Are you a spiritual person? Are you godly? You're saved. I'm saved. Yeah, I'm saved too. I I hope you're saved. I'm saved. We're saved. Everybody's saved going to heaven. Now live it out. Be spiritual with gratitude. Let the word of Christ dwell in you. This is the day-to-day spiritual living. Finally, notice the last verse, 17. And whatever you do, whether in word or deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus. Here it is again, the theme of thankfulness and gratitude. 
giving thanks to God the Father through Him. I think that gratitude marks us as a saved person, gratitude marks us as a spiritual person, and gratitude will mark us as a surrendered Christian. Look what it says. And whatever you do. Whatever you do. Listen, that's everything, people. That means that every part of my life is to be yielded over to Christ so that I am characterized by gratitude and a spirit of thankfulness in the midst of my circumstances. Now, this becomes confusing to some people. I referenced that my mom's hip was broken. And Lord willing, I'm going to leave early tomorrow morning. I'm going to go visit her tomorrow and Tuesday night, come back. I don't have time for this trip. I don't not have time to go see my mother, right? And I've got to get there to her bedside. Do I give thanks for the Lord for breaking my mom's hip, or that she broke her hip? I don't, I don't believe the Lord broke it. He, he obviously allowed it. The sovereignty of God in these matters is difficult to figure out. No, I don't say thank you, Lord, for mom's broken hip in the sense that I'm glad she broke her lip, her hip. But I want to, in the middle of all this, say thank you, Lord, for my mother. And Lord, I don't know why you allowed these circumstances, but I thank you that she's here. I thank you for what you're going to do. And I have a spirit of gratitude for all that my mother means to me. And I don't know how the Lord is going to use this. I do know that we are now in the middle of a circumstance, and and I remind people in hospitals about this, that when you're in this situation, your path will now cross with people that you never would have seen in your life otherwise. And evidently God was chartering your course. And maybe in K. Marceau, something will be seen from a nurse, a doctor, an aide, maybe from her kids at her bedside, as the love and grace and praise and gratitude to our Lord Jesus Christ flows in us, they will listen and watch and maybe even be saved and baptized. As we surrender ourselves to his will with hearts of gratitude. You follow me? Get angry, scratch and claw and fight, And what do we do? We create a lid on God's ability to bless us through adversity and difficult times. But thankfulness should spill over in us and mark us because A, we're saved. B, not only are we saved, but we're spiritual. The word of Christ dwells in us. Shouldn't be any venom and poison in there. Thirdly, We're surrendered to God. And so today, the circumstances of the moment and the day to come pass through my loving Heavenly Father's hands and I surrender myself to them with a spirit of gratitude and thanksgiving for all that He is to us and all that He's going to do through us and these circumstances. Amen? God, forgive us for grumbling. God, forgive us. In the middle of all of His grace most of all, the spiritual blessing of the Lord Jesus Christ, that we would act like a bunch of ungrateful pagans. Let's bow in prayer. Father, do your work in us through your Holy Spirit, I pray. This Thanksgiving weekend, we have feasted, we've watched football, we've been with family. Lord, it's been good to be here and just turn our minds and hearts to the Word, to share verbal testimonies of praise publicly to the congregation and to you. And now may your word dwell in us richly. May we be characterized as saved people, as surrendered people, 
Father, may your word just dwell in us and may the outpouring of it all be spirit of gratitude among us. It's in Jesus' name I pray.